Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. and welcome back to Tales of the Justice Society of America. My name is Michael Bailey. And I am Scott Gardner. And after the marathon of the last three episodes, where we covered, I think, more books in those episodes than we did in the first ten, or something like that. Let's see, it was it was six last time, it was five the time before, and then it was... Five the time before that. Good God, we did like 16 comics. My brain hurts! <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a lot of fun, though. It was it a lot really of fun. Was. It I, was. I, I, I enjoyed the crap out of myself. But uh, this week we're doing something a little different. Uh, we keep saying that to all the shows that we're doing. But <laughs> it, we've been ignoring the email. Not on purpose, but it's just kind of how things have worked out because of how kind of intensive the episodes have been with us having to go through as much as we go through since we're, you know, our, our lazy asses were used to doing an issue at a time. <laughs> so <laughs> we are pushing it with those adventure comics though. Just to tell you, when we get into all-star squadron, we are going to be doing two episodes per or two issues per episode. So uh, we're going to change up the format a little bit just so we can get through it quicker. Cause we're just so excited as we keep talking about, but Scott, you wanted to talk about something really quick before yeah, we get into these wonderful emails. We had, and it'll probably come up here possibly tonight, but somewhere in the course of the emails or some correspondence we had, somewhere along the lines, one of our awesome listeners had an incredible idea that I cannot believe that we didn't think of before, which was basically like, hey guys, why the hell don't you start telling us what you're going to be covering next episode so we can actually read up and you know read along with you or whatever. And I was like, wow, that's a great idea. Why didn't we think of that? So we've started to do that both you know at the end of episodes and um, on the Libsyn page where we actually put the, uh, the episodes up, you know, just in the, uh, the show notes or whatever. But as we've been looking ahead at things, I've been trying to kind of plot things out. Where are we going? You know, because we still are, we're in this interim period between, you know, the uh, the end of the Adventure Comics run and when we'll start into All-Star Squadron. And we've we've got a number of weeks to go yet where we're going to be covering a lot of different material. Now, last time around, we talked about and we threw it open to you, the listener, about the Wonder Woman uh, of Earth 2 material set during World War II that took place in both Wonder Woman and World's Finest. As we record this episode, that episode has not aired yet, so we haven't gotten any uh, you know, any feedback on that or what, but I'm curious what people are going to think. Um, the other one that's kind of uh, up in the air exactly how we're going to cover it comes along in just a couple of episodes um, just to kind of let you peek behind the curtain a little bit, here's what's going on. Next episode, we will be doing uh, Showcase Comics 97, 98, and 99. This is the origin of Power Girl story, and we're really looking forward to that. That should be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. The very next episode are Huntress stories that took place in Batman Family that are um, – I've been meaning to look this up, and I still hadn't made it to it. I actually have the issues um, – She's on the cover to number 17, but you had mentioned to me before, I can't remember if it was on air or off air, that whatever you looked at said that the adventures took place in 18, 19, and 20. But I know she's on the cover of 17, so it's possibly 17, 18, 19, and 20. But one way or the other, I'll find out by the time the show, uh, by the end of next episode, so that I can let people know exactly. Beyond that, though... We were going to also do an episode devoted to the Huntress's uh, adventures in Wonder Woman's title, um, starting with Wonder Woman number 271. Huntress had a backup 
in that book. And, but as I got to looking at the list of all the issues, I got to realizing that's a lot more material than I was aware that it was. I really didn't think it ran for very long or that there were that many stories, but it actually is pretty long. It's pretty much from 271 and pretty steady through the rest of Wonder Woman's title, which ended with, I think it was like number 329. Now, it didn't, it didn't go all the way to 329, but it was pretty damn close. So I'm curious how we want to cover that material. Unlike the Wonder Woman in World War II on Earth 2 stuff, which I could kind of take or leave at this point, depending on which way the audience goes on that. The Huntress stuff, I really do want to cover. I want to cover all of it. it. So it basically comes down to how are we going to cover it? Because I don't think we could get to it all in one episode. Because, for one, I don't think I could get it all read that fast. But also, I think that that would be a lot of ground to try to cover in one episode. But at the same rate, I don't know that I want to devote more than one episode to it. Because, again, that pushes us back on getting to all yeah, one. Yeah, and I don't want to keep doing that. So an idea that I had was since these are just backup stories, why not tackle say one or two issues or maybe one storyline per episode starting at some certain point and okay. just try to cover them that way. What what do you think about that idea? You mean like talk about something else and then cover that as a backup? Yeah. I think that could work. What do you do? You, do you think that's a viable idea? I don't know if it's a viable idea when we get into All Star Squadron because that's going to be kind of jarring to go from the forties to the present uh, like that. I don't know. I, um, you don't. You think it is because we're going to be doing that when we do All Star and uh, Infinity Inc. at the same time. That's true. It's going to add a little more time to the episode, but I, but uh, you know they're short, like little eight pagers. So, well, I mean, I've been thinking too that uh, you know, for the most part, if if we can stay on track with our time, and you know, stick with the the basic format we have, which is you know doing a little bit of of listener feedback either at the very beginning or the very end of the show. Cover the issue, the issue proper, you know, and give all our notes on it as far you know, do the summary, do our notes. Um, cover what interesting ad or whatever material is in there. I think that if we stay on point as much as possible, I think there's plenty of wiggle room in there for, you know, an entire n- other issue. You know, okay. so I mean, talking about just a, a backup feature, it, whether we cover it an issue at a time or a, a story arc at a time. I, I don't know. I personally, I think that there's wiggle room in there, and. uh I don't know. I, I'm going to, once again, encourage listener feedback. I want to know what the listeners think. So far, I haven't ever heard a single person complain about our running time. And I know that we've had some marathon episodes at this point. So, But, you know, the folks seem to love us. Now, I'm not trying to be big-headed about this. I mean, if, if the running time does bother anybody out there, please let us know. I want to know what people think. You know, are we... Are we too long? You know, or, or could you go for another half hour? What do, What do you guys think? I really want to know because I want to know. For one, I want to know what the format of the show should be as far as running time. Just what the opinion is, but also, you know, I want to try to figure out where we're going to squeeze in this Huntress material because, like I say, I really do want to cover that. So, that's all I really had on that. All righty then. So we're going to be reading some emails today. Yeah. And that, to me, is exciting. Mm-hmm. Really, really exciting. So uh, do you want to start us off with the first one? Sure, I can do that. This okay. one is entitled Episode 19. <laughs> That'll let you know how far behind we are on some of these. Our apologies on that, but we really needed to get through that uh, Justice League material. Anyway, this one is from Trent Thornton, and he says, Hello, Scott H. Gardner and Michael. He says, Another good episode. I'm sad to see All-Star Comics is soon to end. I'd really come to fall in love with this series, especially with help from your commentary. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. He says, That having been said, though, Scott and I are just going to have to agree to disagree about the quality of Staten's art. 
I thought it was awkward and generally unpleasant in number 72, while in number 73, it seemed a lot more, for lack of better terms, comfortable and expressive. Staten would only improve from here, and in a big way. But I can now actually see the bridge between the type of work he had done up to this point and the quality level that would define his future work. In terms of nitpicking, I'm guessing that Green Lantern only ever bothered to conjure up a magical TV set to check on the Huntress because certain unnamed dolts on the team couldn't be bothered to watch the security cameras. The way that it is now, the Huntress basically owes the Star-Spangled Kid her life because in a, pre, uh, because in a few previous issues, he, quote, pulled a homer. <laughs> in other news... You guys have said that Kurt Swan didn't do all that many Superman covers in the 70s, but one cover that at least looks like his work is Superman number 248. Aside from being a pretty good story, one that was reprinted in DC's Superman in the 70s trade, that was an unspeakably awesome cover, and it certainly looks like Swan to me. All in all, great issue, great episode. Hope uh, you're both well, and that's from Trent Thornton. Now, Superman 278, which uh, which cover is this? Okay, the cover of Superman number 248, for those that uh, don't have access to it, can't see it, wherever you're listening to it, it's this really awesome cover where we're looking through a busted window at pretty much the world has just been destroyed. There's, you know, buildings are all shattered and shit's all over the ground and buildings are on fire and everything, and there's this really cool Superman uh, statue in the foreground that's all busted and cracked and Lex Luthor's standing there in his evil scientist lab coat and he's saying blast you Superman you deserve to die it's your fault I killed everyone on earth classic classic cover now I don't know I about... have that issue okay now I don't know about Kurt Swan but I definitely see some Murphy Anderson in here I see Murphy Anderson in Superman's face and kind of in the in the pose that uh that Lex has got. So could very well be some Kurt Swan in there as well. I mean, there's a reason why, why people have come up with that, uh, that, uh, name Swanderson because these guys work together so frequently, but, uh, I see more Anderson than I do Swan in there. But, uh, again, totally possible. I don't have credits up in front of me for what actually is, uh, or who actually is involved in that cover. But yeah, good call. Anyway, dude, that's a, that's an awesome, awesome cover. I have that issue. I said that before. I'm just still surprised that I have it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a beat-to-shit copy of it, but I have it. You know, Yay. All righty. <laughs> we got our next one from Paul Spataro to us. It says, hey, guys. Sorry that it has taken so long, but I wanted to take a moment to let you know that I'm loving the podcast. Well, thank you, Paul. I was always a Marvel guy, but for some reason, the Justice Society struck a chord and served as my gateway drug into DC Bucks. Never understood back in the 70s why it wasn't more popular than it was. I loved the crossovers and the fact that since it wasn't part of the core continuity, they could do whatever they wanted with the characters. I mean, Earth 2 is where we first saw an adult Robin and a Superman that married Lois Lane. They were also able to kill a key character like the Batman. We can say it because we're up to that point. He goes, well, I guess you're not quite uh, up to that yet. I also love the ads and remember most of them from when they were new. Your show is really striking a good balance between the substance of the stories and the peripheral materials in the books. Anyways, I'm really enjoying the show as well as the 30 or 40 other shows that get <laughs> produced between you two. Keep up the good work, <laughs> Paul Spataro. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much, Paul. That was awesome. It's awesome. Not, it's not that many yet, but it's it's getting there, I'll grant you. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, my <laughs> God. But it's awesome, just the same. Can't complain at all. Uh, all right. Up. We got one from Stan Johnston. He says, holy podcast, Batman. He says, guys, great find scoring those Green Lantern issues, Scott. I finally found something at a flea market myself just this past weekend. My wife and I were in Iowa for a friend's wedding, and I had a few hours to kill on Sunday. So I went scouting and found a small flea market. One of the booths had some early 90s Flash comics, as well as some cross-gen stuff. 
It was all overpriced, but I did uh, did buy a few issues of Sojourn and Way of the Rat just because I never got on the cross-gen bandwagon and didn't own any of the comics. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that stuff around, and uh, I'm with you, man. I never checked any of that stuff out. I kind of missed that whole uh, thing when it came along. So report back and let me know what you, what you think of that stuff once you've uh, had a chance to read it. I'd just be curious. It says, Michael, regarding your question about letter hackery, I doubt that letter you saw in the old comic uh, was from me. I didn't write a lot of letters to comics, and I don't recall that any of them were ever printed. However, old and forgetful as I am, I could be wrong. So if the address was in Texas, it could have been me. The wallpaper program I use is called EVJO, Wallpaper Changer. And it's probably available on most any uh, free software site if you Google it. You can set it to cycle through your wallpaper as frequently as every minute. Uh, but I have have it changed to every 24 hours. Yeah, I think that uh, stems out of a, a question I had asked him about that, I, or somebody had asked about that. Um, I had a wallpaper changer program at one time, too, and I, for the life of me, I can't remember what the hell the name of that thing is. I don't really use it much anymore. I just kind of change it when I get sick of it on my own. He, can, he, said, he continues here, uh, okay, here is a disclaimer that I obviously should have made a long time ago. Any and all references or allusions to masturbatory activities are made purely in what is meant to be a humorous manner. Now, where did I put that old song? Oh, that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't need to know that. That so is gross. It's funny. Don't get me it wrong. It is funny. Says you both mentioned your lack of interest in war comics. And I can echo that, although I will say that some of the older issues I have seen uh, did have some excellent artwork in them. Russ Heath, Gene Cullen, and John Severn are just a few uh, whose work can be found in those old DC war comics. I don't know if I talked about this or not, but a few issues back, uh, Back Issue Magazine had a whole, uh, a whole issue dedicated to war comics. And it was the first one since I started getting that magazine regularly that I almost skipped. I just looked at it and said, you know, I really don't give a rat's ass about war comics, but I loved that magazine so much. And I went ahead and I, I shelled out the money. I bought the issue and I read it cover to cover. I read everything that was in there and I enjoyed the hell out of it. And again, this is from somebody who really just doesn't dig on war comics at all, but I found it to be really interesting. As a matter of fact, there was a, an interesting article in there about, um, the religious comics that Marvel did back in the eighties, you know, they did the one on mother Teresa and one on John Paul. Paul. Yeah. And it was fascinating. I mean, it it actually made me want to like seek them out now. Like the next time I'm at a convention or something, I actually, you know, they're kind of pricey in places. Oh, are they really? That's a surprising thing. Huh? I remember seeing that John Paul one in 50 cent bins, you know, years ago. I haven't seen it in a long time now. So you could be right. It could be up there in price, but, the last time I'd actually seen one, it was I'm pretty sure it was in a 50-cent bin. But, yeah, they, but that's the cool thing about Back Issue Magazine is they can take the shittiest old comic and make it sound yeah, like it was the most make, awesome thing that ever was, you know? Yeah, make you really, really want to read it. And it's just like, <laughs> unfortunately, that's like the bane of my existence is because even reading, going back when I was reading things like uh, All in Color for a Dime and all that, you know, you read like these these people talking about books from the 40s. It's like, wow, they sound so epic. And then you actually get around to yep. reading them and you realize, mm, not so much. <laughs> Why the hell did they ever cancel Super Pro? Back issue says that was the best thing that ever was. <laughs> you know, I would take the challenge to write an article about Super Pro. Oh, I swear God. to God, I would. <laughs> <sighs> Why did I suddenly get all redneck there? Oh. I'd on a spark plug if I thought it would help. <laughs> <laughs> Best line from War Games outside of Mr. McKittrick, after careful consideration, I've come to the conclusion that your new defense system sucks. I love that movie. God, I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I need to watch it again. I like that movie. So do I. Well, Stan continues here. He says, uh, Scott, the hot cycle was a big wheel clone. He says, I had one when I was six or seven. It was red, white, and blue with stars all over it, and it lived in my parents' garage long after I left home until one of my nephews took it over about 20 years ago. Sounds kind of like the green machine. I I had a green machine. I love those things. 
He concludes by saying, only one more issue of All Star to Go. Can't wait to hear Michael's what-the-fuck moments. <laughs> and that's from Stan Johnston. Thank you, Stan. I, I didn't realize I had what-the-fuck moments, but there you go. Thanks. Most every episode you have a what-the-fuck moment, so you just haven't <laughs> been paying attention. I don't remember anything I say. I can remember like everything you say. <laughs> but I can't remember a damn thing that comes out of my mouth. And I edit these things. So, <laughs> <clears throat> Okay, next one is from Trent Thornton. No, this is a good one. Hello, Scott and Mike. This is based on episode 20. Joe Staten's art continues to radically improve. In my opinion, number 74 is his best work so far. The writing in this issue is what it is. And with a few exceptions, it is, as Scott said, kind of a clunker. For starters, if I was just chilling out in my living room watching TV and got dragged off to an alternate dimension by the Master Summoner, I'd be a little ticked off. You'd think a world you'd think a world class dill hole like Hawkman would have had something to say about it. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the explanation as to why Doctor Fate is posing the same way a five year old getting yelled at by his mom. <laughs> While I while I wait, I'd also love to know why neither Dr. Fate nor Hawkman ever thought to say, Hey, Sumner, star alignments can be measured and predicted pretty far in advance. Why are you only now telling us about this? <laughs> Without a decent answer, Hawkman could buzz Superman to throw the Master Summoner into the sun. Summon this. <laughs> as far as Power Girl and the Huntress are concerned, wow. The last three panels on page three are pretty interesting, absent context. And perhaps even with context. Overall, not very uh, not very good issue, especially as a final one, but a great episode. Thank you, Trent, for writing. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> you know, the, the, the biggest the biggest compliment I think so far I've I've been paid on on anything in, in this podcasting gig is I've noticed a couple of things starting to catch on in, in like the rest of Geek World. One of the big ones is is the thing that we do on Two True Freaks all the time, the, the little musical cue going, dun-dun-dun, when something dramatic happens. I've heard a lot of other shows starting to do that now. But also, this whole thing of Superman throwing shit into the sun really, really seems to be catching on with people. Because I'm, I'm hearing more and more people referencing that, too. So that's awesome. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm. I have to admit that I've uh, I've been very guilty of doing the dun 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 every once in a while on From Crisis to Crisis too. So hey, keep go. it up, keep it up, my friend. I love it. <laughs> I love it. All right, so we've got uh, oh, we've got Jose Rivera. He says the end of an era. Oh. Hey guys, well, uh, you finally hit the end of All Star Comics. The issue truly went out in a blaze of meh. <laughs> I love it. Says I gotta agree with you that uh, they really left on such an anticlimactic note. Even knowing that DC would still use these characters, isn't it a shame to see a comic like All Stars' final issue be so ho hum? Yes, it truly was. The one thing I will say about this issue is that it had a fantastic cover, albeit lying about the page count. <laughs> Back in 1999, when I was really getting into the JSA, I started looking online at old JSA comics. Now, these were the days before Google when you had the option to just look at images. These were the days you had to type uh, in Justice Society of America, pray there was a website, and pray that site had images of covers. This cover stands out to me because it's usually the one image I was shown frequently when people asked about the JSA. It's colorful, it's dynamic, and yes, uh, it has a giant hand for some reason. <laughs> Not much else to say, but I will thank you for the mention of the contest. I still wish the Sky Captain theme would have been picked, as I love that theme. But imagining the show without the theme from the Corman Fantastic Four movie just isn't possible. I love the comics as my prize, and you better believe I'll try uh, in the future to go for whatever other contests you have. Thank you, Jose Rivera. Thank you, Jose. And uh, I would just say keep an ear out for uh, for that other theme. You may be hearing it sooner than you think. Indeed, yes. Let's see. Next one. Another one from Trent Thornton. It says, hello, Scott. Hello, Michael. 
Greetings from... No, I'm just kidding. Another week, another good episode. You guys must have read my mind because I had been hoping you'd cover Adventure Comics 461 and 462. Now this is how you do a Death of Batman storyline. Agreed. Staten's art continues to improve, although he clearly has a ways to go. The final page on page the final panel, excuse me, on page thirteen shows Jensen almost doing the splits. I'm <laughs> guessing he would have needed an ice pack if he ever made it home. <laughs> that said, one gripe I have about this arc is, as you noted, the unnatural break in the story of in four sixty one. It just felt weird. Another quibble is the sudden flashback to Jensen's history. I think the story would have been better served had Jensen Jensen's motives been established earlier on rather than slowing down the pace of everything right as the action was mounting. But overall, this story is a solid example of everything that makes Earth 2 awesome. Speaking of Earth 2, I, for one, wouldn't mind you guys made non-JSA Earth 2 stories like the Superman Takes a Wife thing, an ongoing fixture of the show. Although I'd certainly understand if you chose not to do it. Hope you're both well, and I look forward to more episodes. T. I guess that kind of owes into what we were just talking about with the uh, mm-hmm. the Huntress thing and all that. That 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 may be how we end up solving both of those little uh, little dilemmas with uh, with Huntress and possibly even with the Wonder Woman material down the road. So keep listening. We'll we'll keep banding that idea about and see what what, what we can uh, resolve there. Next one is from John Wilson. He writes in about Adventure Comics number 465. He says, most likely by the time you read this on the air, if you do, you will have covered Adventure Comics number 465, which was released on June 18th, 1979. Four days previous, yours truly was born into the world in Fort Worth, Texas, ushering in this current era of darkness under which mankind toils. <laughs> Just thought I'd share. Wow, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> this is from uh, um, <clears throat> John, rather. John, Did I say Josh? You said Josh, but I, I, I said Josh. Josh. Oh, okay. and, and, and now John's going to be mad at me. And now I'm going to be on the show. <laughs> I'm That's, sad now. It's from John M. Wilson. And uh, he signed it as uh, Amazing Spider-Man Classics. He is the uh, is he the host or co-host? Or I guess he's like the ringleader over there on that show. Yeah, right? that, that's exactly the word I was about to use was ringleader. Yeah, so. excellent, excellent show. If you guys are not listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, then God damn it, you need to be because it's a good, good show. <laughs> All righty. Next up on this, oh, that's another one from Sean Wilson. Says, hey, All right, John Wilson and Trent Thornton, you guys need to start like throwing money into the quarter jar or something for every email that gets read. I'm serious. Hey there, Tales of the Justice Society of Americans. It's a long name. That's better than Trekkers. <laughs> I have a request, but you didn't see that coming, huh? After the Adventure Comics run, as you move into new and unusual territory, could you say at the end of the episode what you will be covering the next episode? Mm-hmm. Or maybe post it on the Libsyn page if you haven't decided yet at the time of recording. That way, I, and whoever else wants to be like me, can read the book over the course of the week before the next show comes out. Y'all are doing an excellent job as usual. I'd go into detail, but Jose Rivera beat me to it. I probably <laughs> did a better job <laughs> than I would have done because he's cool like that. Later, John M. Wilson. There is nothing cooler than one-upmanship about people writing into the show. That's fucking yeah. awesome, man. I love that. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Makes me happy in the happy place. That was the email I was talking about. That was from that was from John Wilson. I'm sorry, John. I could not remember who proposed that idea, but excellent, excellent idea, and we have adopted it. All right. Oh, really. <laughs> Speaking of Jose Rivera, <laughs> the next one is from Jose Rivera, and he's commenting about episode number 22. He says, hey, guys, he says, so we've hit the ap- aftermath of a pretty big story in Earth 2 history. One would assume this would be the perfect chance for the team to take a break and take a moment for some really good character study for our favorite team. But this being the Bronze Age and not the current age of comics, can't tell if it's if that's good or bad, he says. They had the JSA right back in the thick of things hunting down Batman's killer. Now, technically, his killer, much like Batman himself, was fried like an onion ring at a carnival last issue. But I like the fact that they were looking for the power behind the power Jensen had. 
When I first read this years ago, I thought Frederick Va- was it Vox? Is that how he agreed his name th- was pronounced? I think so. Okay, Frederick Vox was the Earth Two equivalent of Felix Faust. Uh, I still to this day don't know where I got that from. Well, it's it's a logical leap, I guess, because they are very similar names and and somewhat similar powers, I think. It says anyway. He says uh, I also thought he was Kestrel from Hawk and Dove, but then I realized <laughs> Kestrel wasn't around at this point. I, I I guess I don't get it. Why is is that? Why is because he funny? looks like Kestrel. Oh, okay, okay, I got. He you. looks like the character. He really does. I'm I'm only vaguely familiar with that whole. It was a long time ago. I read that. Oh, was that that was like Liefeld or somebody drew that, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Says anyway, I can't say much about him as a villain. He employs elementals who are basically the stock villains any Hanna Barbera hero would fight. Look at those designs and tell me I'm wrong. And in the end, thanks to Doctor Fate, both Huntress and Robin uh, get to sidestep the problem of their now public identities that uh, we, the public, weren't even aware of. As for the Wildcat stories, did did he just allow a minor to engage in a fight against three adult men? I don't care how good a hook the kid had. Isn't that child endangerment? Then he takes off his mask to the kid, and we mysteriously don't see anything else of the kid afterwards. Usually when you reveal your identity to someone, they die. You guys get the feeling at the uh, end on at the end on page eight when Dick says, Huh? That he's not responding to Wildcats leaving, but to the fact that his bags are leaving a trail of blood behind them. That's great. I wondered where he was going with that. Now I get it. That is very funny. It says, Michael, you said something about Batman and his thoughts on mind control really sparked a thought and opened an old wound for me. This is more Sorry. <laughs> This is more a complaint on the way Batman's been written since Morrison's JLA. Batman's extremely sensitive about mind control, be it what happened uh with Ar- Armageddon. Who the hell is Armageddon? Or Agamem Agamemno, I guess is this. I can't read tonight. That's the problem. That's okay. It's worse things have happened in life. He says, "No, wait. Nothing has been worse than yeah, this." Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> what happened in Identity Crisis, where he was opposed to it, or him in Infinite Crisis, yelling at Superman because he tells him mind control is not an excuse? I can understand the reasons, but let's look at this. In response to what happened happened with Agamemno, who the hell is Agamemno? Is this something I should know or remember? <sighs> I can't remember unless it's that last villain that uh what's his name morrison threw into the jla oh, okay i don't i i guess i just don't remember that well enough no that was mageddon i really don't know i don't know either says he creates plans to take down other heroes uh should something like this happen again and as a result ras Ghul steals those plans and batman is eventually out of the jail okay i remember that whole story but i don't know what the hell agamemno is yeah Anyway, he says, in Identity Crisis, he was supposed to be the voice of reason, and he ends up uh, getting mind-controlled and distrusts other heroes and eventually creates what ends up being, uh, ends up becoming, rather, Brother Eye, and Blue Beetle ends up dead because of it. Then he has the gall to yell at Superman for being mind-controlled and telling him it's not an excuse when, just looking at the previous two things I've mentioned, people have died because of Batman's plans to take down other heroes, but somehow Superman is wrong for getting his mind controlled. It really makes you wonder and uh, see just how much time in parallel Earths uh, can be indicative of what the times demand of Batman. This was the 70s, and a Batman of another Earth who rose to the ranks of commissioner and gave his life up uh, for the greater good. The Batman of the past 10 to 15 years slowly became this paranoid, distrusting, omnipotent planner who was infallible. Everyone but him is wrong, and the fans eat it up. Sorry to leave on such an angered note. Jose A. Rivera, he says, P.S., can you guys help me out with something? I have so many comics with the Whitman logo on it. Can you guys elaborate on what on how these Whitman reprints came about? 
oh, I used to know the whole story with that. And you know, now I'm not exactly sure of my whole facts on that. But what I thought it had to do with somehow Whitman got a hold of like the what was it like the redistribution rights or something? Something like that. I, I forget exactly how that worked out. I just know that I hate getting Whitman reprints when I'm trying to fill holes in my oh. collection. I, I just do. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just don't think they're. They don't look as good. I'm sorry. That Whitman logo sucks. It does. It used to really bum me out as a kid getting those because you know that it was that that early collector slash speculator thing in my brain when I first got into comics. You know about. Oh, these are reprints and all that. But you know what? They're now, they've been around long enough to where the Whitman stuff is pretty much, it's almost a wash. You know, they're they're not considered to be like less valuable or less uh, desirable anymore like they were originally. And so it it doesn't really bother me anymore. The, the only thing that still bugs me about the Whitman reprints is, is a lot of times they would cover up issue numbers on the covers. Yeah. So I've got a shitload of action comics that are right in in a certain run of action. Like right around the time of that story that you're always uh, bringing up, Mike, the one about where uh, it was revealed why Clark Kent's glasses help, yeah. help his secret identity. Right in that stretch, I've probably got maybe a year's worth of the title that are all Whitman reprints and they cover up all of the, the information on the cover. So you don't know what issue number you're looking at. You actually have to open the issue and look at the indicia to find out. And that, that's a pain in the ass. I hate that. But other than that, I, I don't really care. It doesn't really bother me, but it, it drove me nuts when I was a kid though. I hated that shit. Alrighty, I am next with another one from Trent Thornton. Good lord, that's like $3 now, isn't it? Man owes me money. Not much to say about the Adventure Comics issue at hand, but they pretty much are what they are. But your remarks about Kurt Swan in the email section grabbed my attention. In my view, Superman artists fit into one of two categories. Kurt Swan and everybody else. I realize your intention was not to bash on the guy, but I feel nonetheless compelled to speak up for him. Partly my love for his work comes from his mastery as a storyteller. Although their styles are vastly different, I find Swan to be from the similar school as Mike Parabek, in the sense that both could tell a story almost entirely with visuals and without needed for a lot of dialogue to explain everything. It's always been a rare trait for any comics artist to have. The other part of my admiration for Swan comes from the absolute death of any other compelling artist from the Bronze Age. And Scott starts winding up. I find Gil Kane and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez both to be eyesores, most are than, more so than talented fencelers. I realize both of you are probably screaming for my blood for criticizing Garcia Lopez's art, but I've never found it to be the least bit interesting to look at. That's not to bash on him, though certainly not a bash on YouTube, but I never saw what the hype was about with Garcia Lopez. That's usually my line. <laughs> but Swan, I totally see it, particularly when he was paired up with Murphy Anderson and maybe two or three other inkers. Swan's Superman was so definitive to the powers that were at DC that they had Swan touch on even Jack friggin' Kirby's pencil to bring some characters' faces more in line with Swan's own style. When a Titan like Kirby, Kirby gets edited like that, you know something's up. I don't think it's an accident that Christopher, Chris Reeve bore such a resemblance to Swan's versions of Superman. Please understand that none of this was intended to bash on either of you. I simply adore Kurt Swan's on Earth. Superman. He is without a doubt my all-time favorite Superman artist, even ahead of Dan Jurgen, Stuart Immerman, Jerry Ordway, and the mighty Tom Grummet. And I tend to lose all objectivity once Swan's name comes up. Good issues, great, great episode, great podcast. Keep it going, guys. You don't know what to say, do you? I, I don't know what to say because I, I really, I, I really feel like. In a way, I feel like this this email is perfectly justified because there's yeah. a lot of times after we were done discussing um, Kurt Swan that I felt bad, that I felt like, 
wow, I really hope that didn't come across like us just dogging the hell out of this guy like we just can't stand him because nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, Kurt Swan was the Superman artist when I was a kid, when I was coming up. And, you know, for years before I came into it and for several years after I discovered the title, you know, so, I mean, I, I was right in that wheelhouse, you know. I, I do appreciate the guys are and uh, and one of my all time favorite Superman stories of all time, at least one of them, is done by him, which was the uh, the Silver Age origin of Superman. You know, the, yes, I, I love that story. You know, it's the it's the one. I don't know where exactly the story comes from. I don't know where it originally first appeared, but it's the one where at the end of the story, Superboy comes back to Smallville with that giant friggin' cake. And then it shows where some people didn't ever eat it. They kept it like under a little glass thing and they saved it. it. That's the story I'm talking about. I love that. It's beautiful to look at. Beautiful art. So, yeah, no, I'm not a hater of, of Kurt Swan. It's just, and I know that Mike and I have said this before, I, I think he simply, he overstayed his welcome. And mm-hmm. I, I understand how that can can maybe hurt somebody's feelings, maybe even piss somebody off to hear that. Because I'll give you a perfect example. Recently, uh, I've still been making my way um, through uh, the backlog of episodes of of Mike's show, um, Views from the Long Box. And his sometimes co-host over there, Shag, I was listening to an episode not long ago where they got to talking about um, Jim Aparo. And Shag was saying pretty much the same thing about Jim Aparo. And my my first natural instinct was to get kind of pissed off about it, was to get kind of defensive because Jim Aparo is my Batman artist. I mean, far and away, the greatest Batman artist I think there's ever been. However, when I really listened to what he had to say, I got to thinking that, you know, he's absolutely right. After a certain point, Jim Aparo, I, I hate to put it so crudely, but Jim Apparel kind of jumped the shark late in his Batman career. And actually, right around the time of the story that you guys were discussing, I think it was when you guys were discussing um, Death in the Family, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And while, you know, don't get me wrong, Death in the Family, it's not like it's horrible to look at or anything, but it's pretty far removed from the classic Jim Aparo that I had discovered as a kid, like back in the, like the Batman, you know, the Bat murderer story or, you know, some of the stuff he had done in uh, like Brave and the Bold back in the day. I mean, that stuff, it just has a certain look to it. And a lot of it, you know, I, I think has to do with the way it was inked and the, and the heavy lines and things like that. But I just, I look at some of the stuff like what you guys were looking at, the uh, death in the family and lonely place of dying and, and that it doesn't have the same look. It, it looks kind of, it looks kind of tired, you know? And I think that this happens to a lot of artists. I think it happens to, to way more of them than the ones that, that never seem to, to have a degeneration of their style. I, I think most comic book artists get to a point where they, they just don't really look like they used to look. You know what I mean? And yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying, you know, the, the ones where they, they make a conscious effort to like change up their style and try something different or they've expanded to a point to where, you can clearly see a progression from their earliest stuff to the latest stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when they simply, they've been in the biz too long or they've been doing it too long and it just doesn't look good anymore, you know? And I think to a certain degree, I think Kurt Swan got to that point. And I I hope that doesn't come across as a harsh criticism. I I think it's just, that's just how I see it. You know, the stuff that he was doing, by the end of his career just didn't thrill me. As a matter of fact, when he came back to Superman post crisis after the burn stuff, it would annoy the hell out of me, honestly, because I felt like <laughs> I his... think I've expressed that opinion once or twice. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about? I mean, yes. and it's, you know, like I say, it's, uh, it's not that I hate the guy or something. It's just, it was one of those things where, dude, you had your time. You drew this book for like, what, like 40 fucking years? Go away, you know? 
And I, I realize how harsh that sounds, but it's just how I felt as a kid reading that material. And that's one of those unshakable things. You know, I just, that's just how I feel about it. So I don't know. Again, it probably sounds like a whole lot of swan bashing, but it's it's really not. I really do respect and, and love the man. I miss him. I, I, I do wish, you know, that he, that he was still with us today. I'd, I'd like to see him still, you know, trying to do something related to Superman. Because it, it doesn't feel the same anymore when they do those anniversary specials. And there's not at least something, you know, a pinup or, you know, uh, you know, because I liked, what was it? I think it was the, I think it was the issue where he and Lois got engaged or something. He did like the Clark Kent sections of the book with John Byrne or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Um... Hmm. I know. I know. Superman Fifty. John Byrne did a part of it where he he made Mister Mixius Pitalik and the Impossible Man the same person. Uh, I know he they had some unused Superman pages that they used in the wedding album. Maybe that was it. Uh, where they shoehorned Email Hamilton and Bibbo into the artwork through the inking, but it was interesting nonetheless. I just I remember there being something where where Kurt Swan had had penciled and uh, and John Byrne inked, and I, I wanted to say it was like like around I issue fifty remember. or something like that. Where I, I thought it had something to do with when they got engaged, but I, I shit I can't remember. I can't I, remember yesterday. So uh, <laughs> exactly, that's too much. That's too much strain on the old memory muscle right there. I can't remember. Anyway. Who's got the next one? Okay. Uh, our next yes. email is from Mr. Hugh. Hugh, Hugh I don't know how you pronounce this. H-U-I. Hugh, Hugh, Hugh Susong. He says, you have message. He says, good day. I need you to partner with me for an urgent transaction in my bank. The amount involved in this deal is $19.5 million. If you are willing to do this with me, kindly contact me with the information below. Upon verification, I will avail details of the transaction to you. Mr. Huey Susong. Thank you, uh, Mr. Huey Susong, and uh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> we'll get right on that right after I start pounding nails into my penis. So, Ow! It's late and I'm tired. Also uh, concerning Kurt Swan, we had this one from Charlie Niemeyer who says, Hey guys, first of all, I want to, uh, I just want to apologize for my email making Scott feel like he can't voice his opinion. That was never my intention. Usually at least one of you share my opinion on something and Kim and I can support your viewpoint. But in the instance of Kurt Swan's art, you both had uh, similar opinions, so I felt a need to defend mine. Normally, I'm not like that, but I had just read an interview with Martin Pascoe where he seemed to be upset that Kurt Swan had drawn his late 70s issues of Superman. If it hadn't been for that, I probably would have just let it go, uh, such as our differing opinions of Dick Dillon and Joe Staten's art. Not a fan of either. Anyway, uh, please don't feel uncomfortable about voicing your opinions. After all, we all listen to your show specifically for your opinions. Secondly, I'd like to congratulate you guys on another great episode. Uh, I do. Oh, this is uh, episode 22 is what he's referencing. I do have one question. I know it is way down the road, but do you think you'll be covering JSA, Liberty Files, and Unholy 3 Elseworlds? Thanks for the show, Charlie. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, it's an Elseworlds, but uh, what the hell? They're I both mind. excellent stories. I yeah. got to talk to the... I got to talk to the writer, Dan Jolly, at length a couple of years ago at Dragon Con about them. And the second one has a twist that is fucking amazing. So, um, yeah, I think we should fit those in when we get to them. I wonder if they're both in. See, I bought the trade yeah. not long ago to the Liberty. Are they both in that book? Yes, they are. Oh, excellent. Cool. Because I bought that on eBay for a song months ago and then never got around to reading it. So it's still see? sitting on the shelf. I bought it from Dan Jolly, and over the next couple of Dragon Cons, I got basically the entire creative staff to sign my copy. So uh, that's, that's pretty cool. That sounds like somebody who should be running like a massage parlor. Or, or Dan Jolly? Yeah. He's a good writer. <laughs> Just saying. 
Okay, our final one this week, and our final thing this week, is from Jesse Garrett, uh, who, whose subject is DeMonzo Corps. <laughs> Jesse writes, just wondering if there are any corporate mergers slash hostile takeovers slash drunken hookups in the DeMonzo Corps future. How busy a man is Dufo? Well, you can answer that better. He stopped returning my calls after I sent his topless interns away. He's involved with some sort of lawsuit thing going on right now, so I, I imagine he's pretty busy, and that's probably tying up uh, <laughs> some funds. So I don't know what the hell's going on. But then again, we're usually the very last to know what exactly is yeah, going on. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I found out that he bought views like – three days after it happened and I didn't even know if it was for sale but apparently you can buy anything on the internet if you try hard enough so <laughs> alright guys next week we will be covering the origin of Power Girl Sweet. so your reading assignment if you choose to accept it is Showcase Comics number 97 to 99. So if you can track those down, give them a read, and we will be covering them. Excellent. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell, called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Longbox, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos, and we love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to Tales of the JSA at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. <laughs>